I had to learn the hard way, to be honest. I was producing events for celebrities would want to go to the events that I was doing, mm. but I also was working with restaurants that celebrities would like to go to. Mm. I would curate those dinners. It's not something where I just woke up one day and had a Rolodex full of celebrities' managers to take my call. That's not I how mean, it works. This is not how it works. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. We're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, I am making friends with Jeff Kraus. Jeff, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. What's going on, man? Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. These are some of my favorite interviews because I like talking to like really understated connectors, you know, like people who are a part of all these big things, but they're always behind the scenes. And so you never really see much about them until you watch a show like this. And you get to see a lot about them. So that's what we're here to do today. That's if awesome. you'll let me. Let's let's rewind the clock first of all. Okay. Because I don't know if your high school or college had a, you know, connecting with celebrities 101, but I doubt that it did. So I'm always curious to see how you got to where you are. Let's go back in time. Let's talk 10, 11 year old Jeff Kraus. Where were you? Set the scene for me. Well, 10, 11 years old, I was, you know, in probably in middle school. And this was the furthest thing on my mind that it would ever come to be. <laughs> Where were you? Oh, I geographically. I, yeah, I, I grew up in Roslyn, New York, in okay. Long Island, and yeah, you know, I just was interested in tennis and wrestling and sports and sports guy. Yeah, yeah. Were Business you, was the last thing on my mind. What were your parents doing at the time? Were they kind of employees, business people? What were they doing? Yeah, well, I mean, they still kind of are in a sense. I mean, my, okay. you know, my dad, you know, he's in the financial world okay. as far as like selling stocks and bonds and oh, okay. that kind of stuff. Gotcha. My mom manages a medical company oh, really? as far okay. as, you know, with it works with like insurance companies and that kind of thing. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, they've actually both love what they do and they've been doing it for, you know, a very long time, actually. Was there a push for you at all? down the education path or like to a certain vocation in life? Was there kind of a cultural or familial push toward a certain direction? No, I mean, they basically just wanted me to go to college and they wanted me to complete college and find something that I loved doing and have the, you know, stable nine to five, you know, job kind of thing, Yeah, which really was not for me. It really just, it just wasn't. I mean, I did go to college okay. and I did graduate college. But as far as doing the whole nine to five thing, it just wasn't really for me. Did you stay in New York for college? Well, I actually went to college in New Jersey okay. uh, at uh, Ramapo College in, in Mawa. Okay. How was your college experience? Not the usual because okay. it's because it's right outside the city. So, I mean, within the first, I would say, year or two of college, I was already starting to throw parties in Manhattan. And, you know, of course, I was taking, you know, courses on communications and 
marketing and all that good stuff at, at Ramapo, but my real education as far as what I do now really came from when I was in college, actually being in doing in, things, yeah, yeah, doing things, <laughs> Not studying things, yeah. being in the city, throwing parties and networking and, and yeah. doing all that kind of stuff, which kind of laid a little bit of the groundwork to, you know, what I do today in a sense. Did you ever have any desire to leave New York? No, I love New York city. I just, it's just it's in me. I mean, it's fair. Yeah. What's your second favorite city? I would say LA. Okay. Los well, Angeles. Well, or? well, let me, let me just paraphrase that. Okay. I would say Los Angeles, Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills area, West Got Hollywood. It. Got it. And, and I would say that maybe pre pandemic. Okay. That's a fair, that's a fair caveat. For yeah, sure. definitely pre-pandemic, that would definitely be my favorite, you know, place to either A, you know, do events outside of New York City or B, even just do a little vacation or quasi of both kind of thing. Sure. Those would be my two favorite. But, you know, after the pandemic, of course, L.A. is not as, you know, great to go as far as, you know, vacationing and that's very Stuff true. Like that. That's very true. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. I, I was just talking to my wife about this because she asked me New York or LA, which one would I choose? And I'm from LA area, like an hour north of LA is where I grew up. So my answer always used to be LA. But I, what I told her was at this point, I feel like if I were going to pick an objectively cooler city, I would pick New York City. But if I was going to pick like a place to live, I feel like I would still go as long as I don't have to live in Los Angeles, Los, like downtown Los Angeles or something like that, if I could pick something like Orange County, I think I would still choose that just because of the weather. Yeah. Well, see, for me, it's more of I love living in New York City. I love doing what I do in New York City. Yeah. But I also love the just when you get to L.A., it's more mellow. Mm. It's more especially Orange County. Comparatively. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying you go to L.A., it's very more mellow everybody's more just chill and it's just, you know, so as far as for a Zen yeah. kind of thing, pace of life, pace yeah. of life, LA is definitely much more the like, spot. you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. All right. That, that was just a personal aside that I wanted to ask you. Let's get back totally. into your story here. Okay. You're in college. You start throwing parties. You end up graduating. What do you do after? After I graduated, I actually partnered in a lounge. Okay. So as soon as you're done, with college. Well, yeah. So what happened was up until the point of when I graduated, I was already throwing really big parties. Okay. And in my head, my big thing was I want to be a bar lounge club owner. Go figure. Makes sense. So we, at the time, the person that I was partners with, we partnered up with a landlord that owned an existing lounge. Okay. And we took over that lounge. We did some minor renovations to it, and we opened it. We called it Cotton. It was pretty, in the beginning, it was pretty good. It was very difficult to uh, keep it going, but we did end up having a niche of having the late night parties on Friday and Saturday mm. where when people would be done with, say, for example, their you know big nightclubs kind of thing, sure they would come over to us and hang out and relax spot than a party spot. No, it was a party spot, but I would say that it was more of a late night party spot. Mm. That's where we really hit our, our core audience. Okay. It was just that it was one of those things where we took a niche that was not being 
discovered on, so to speak. Sure. And we elaborated on that. And that was kind of our like, hey, okay, you know what? This wasn't really working from what we were trying to do. Yeah. But, you know, we could be the cool spot where people come at 2, 3 a.m., hang out. Because, again, at that time I was, you know, 21, 22. Yeah. It was like no big deal hanging out till, you know, 5 in the morning. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Who cares? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> at that time. Sure. It's pretty inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. Time's just a construct, you know? Exactly. But I'm it was curious. a lot of fun and I had a lot of, you know, there were a lot of ups and downs with it, but yeah. I definitely learned a lot from it. Can you tell us the story of your first ever event that you threw? Do you remember that event or party or whatever it would be? Well, if we want to talk about the first party that I ever threw, I was in college and I got referred to a promoter that, now again, this is me knowing nobody. Yeah. I mean, absolutely nobody. <laughs> I didn't know anything about the business. My friend, one of my, one of my best friends still to this day, Dave Rothblatt, he, he was like, Jeff, we got to uh, throw parties in, in a nightclub and, uh, or, you know, promoting. And I said, nah, I don't really want to do that. It's yeah. not for me. And this went on for weeks where he was like, no, we got to do it. We got to do it. And I think my sister or some, yeah, I think my sister knew a promoter or something and we got referred and, and we spoke with the promoter and he was actually promoting a very popular venue at the time. So we said, all right, well, you know, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And we just made phone calls for two weeks straight to everybody yes. that we knew. I mean, my friend was calling people that he hadn't even spoken to in 10 years. <laughs> they were expecting like network marketing and an MLM pitch or something. Yeah, I found these supplements. Were, yeah. yeah. We were, I mean, he was speaking to people that he was like friends with in like middle yeah. school. And he's, we're having this party. It's going to be the best. Write down you everybody gotta, you know. You got to come. They're just like, we haven't heard. Who is this? Yeah, we haven't heard from you in five, <laughs> ten years. And just They're like, getting out the yearbook, trying yeah. to figure out who this guy is. Yeah, so, I mean, we brought so many people down. So we get to the venue. I'm underage. <laughs> they got promoting the event. I'm, un I'm underage. Yeah. And I have a fake ID on me. Yeah. I go up to the door. I show the fake ID. The bouncer looks at it. And he's like, this isn't you. <laughs> so, so I didn't get in at first. I went around the block. My friend was, you know, a few years older than me. Okay. He walks into the venue and he finds the promotional director of the venue or for the night or whatever. And he says, we busted our butts, you know, trying to fill this venue tonight. You know, I demand my friend get in. And <laughs> hey, he had your back, though. He did have my back. He had your back. And so they said, all right, we'll let him in. Can't drink. Yeah. Okay, no okay. problem. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no problem. I don't touch the stuff. So I get in. The The venue is, is you know, is packed. Some of our friends didn't even get in. And uh, what do you know? I We didn't even end up getting paid. <laughs> really? Yeah. So this is your first time ever, ever. I, my, my first time because apparently at, listen, at the time, the times have changed at the time. I didn't know any better. And he said, Oh, you guys had too many people in that were for free and that didn't pay at the door. Mm. And oh, okay, whatever. So, you know, I ended up meeting another promoter that was throwing a party that was competition a little bit more in Chelsea area. Okay. And he said, listen, we want to give you guys a shot. So we said, okay, 
great. We ended up, you know, throwing the party and I ended up learning a lot because they gave us a lot of leeway. Hmm. So my thing was more like, okay, I want to work with good people, even if the party isn't necessarily as good, yeah. but it's still good enough. It was good enough for me to learn the ropes hmm. and actually, actually learn what we needed to do. Do you remember thinking that at the time? I, I want to learn the insights. No, well, that, that was the thing. I didn't, for me, it was more about, I just want to work with somebody that's a good person yeah. that throws a good party. doesn't have to be the best party, yeah. but it could be good enough where I can learn, I'm going to be treated with respect, yeah. and I can make money. And I can get a little bit of money out of this. Yeah. It, exactly. So we went that route, and that turned out you know, pretty good until 9-11 hit. Okay. And after 9-11, you know, took a little bit of a break from throwing parties and then got back to it probably about six months later. What about it kept bringing you back? It was just about bringing people together. I don't know. It was something about it. Yeah. Like having people in, in the room that I can introduce and show a good time to. Yeah. There's just something about it that has always stuck with me. Mm regardless of whether it's in my own venue, in someone else's venue, anywhere I've gone, that's just been, it's just been something about bringing people together yeah. that's allured me. Some, yeah, it, it fulfilled some part of you. Yeah, yeah, I just love doing it. So basically all of the rest of college, you're just promoting stuff. Are, are you making like pretty good money at this point? Is this, is this, are you making money where you're like, why am I still in college? Or was it always, I'm definitely going to finish college, get my degree, and then get a job? No, we made pretty good money, but you got to also remember something. Back then, I didn't really know what was what because weren't, I mean, I was in college, yeah. so, and I'm taking like marketing and communications courses. I don't know what rent is or, or sure. I don't know what real life bills are because yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. In, I'm in college. I don't really know much. Yeah. Other than I know what I'm making. I know that it sounds great, yeah. but what does that mean for what actually that, navigating adult life? Yeah. What does that really mean for navigating adult life? Yeah. So then your first inclination out of college was like, I don't want to get a job. I want to become part owner of this lounge. That was. Well, so what happened was we met the landlord because he owned a, a place that was currently open and we just looked at the numbers and we said, wait a minute. I, I just said to myself, okay, I'm not really into the nine to five thing. Now. How did I, you know that? Well, a number one, I have insomnia. Okay. So that right there. And I, I've had insomnia since I was, since I was a child. Okay. Since I was a baby. So I knew right then that a number one, that probably wouldn't be the best route, but B number two, is that before I graduated college, these negotiations were going on. <laughs> okay. And we were looking at the potential revenue gotcha. that the venue could make and what could be of it. And I just said to myself, I'm going to take the chance and do it. It was just, a, I just took a chance on myself and, and, and did it. But do, what did your parents think at the time? I don't think they necessarily liked the idea of it, but I think they, they did support it. Okay. They supported my decision, but I don't think it was necessarily their, their top. What they wanted. What they wanted, sure. but they definitely show their support. Hey, that's and good. Yeah. There was never had any issue on it, but 
back then, they definitely wouldn't have said, hey, you know, we want our son to yeah. be a club owner or sure. a promoter yeah. or whatever. Yeah, or to just not have a 9 to 5. Yeah. I don't think the 9 to 5 part of it was necessarily... Because, again, times have changed. Yeah. Now you could work 10 to 6. You right. could work right. whatever. But back then, yeah. the big thing was 9 to 5. Oh, it's totally fair. You know, and that was like the path. Yeah. You know what I mean? There wasn't this kind of glorification of entrepreneurship or solopreneurship or freelancing that exists now. Exactly. Um, and you didn't see any of it because there was no social media. There was no way There's... to really know that, that those things were possible. It was just like, you go to school, you get a job. And exactly. that's what you do. Yeah. Well, back when I'm talking about, I mean, Facebook wasn't even a thing. Wasn't even a thought. Wasn't even a thought. We're talking 2002. Yeah, this was this was back in 2004. 2004, yeah. I mean, Facebook wasn't a thought. Yeah. Or maybe the it internet was. internet was barely. I mean, or blogs I, were still, <laughs> like, coming Yeah, out, I know. mean, I think there was, might have been something, I think, what was it, Friendster or something like that? Yeah. But, there, but it wasn't, MySpace. nobody was, yeah, not even, not even MySpace. Oh. Yeah, MySpace blew up maybe within that time frame, within sure. a year or two, but it still was not anything compared to what these networking platforms are today. Were, were there any sort of early internet sites, any any sort of yeah, web applications that you guys were using at the time to fill parties? No. You would post or go get people? You were just doing everything? No, old school. Old school. We were just making calls, sending out emails. Hmm. Making calls, sending out emails. People just get on your list to be like, hey, let me know when you're throwing another party, and then you email them? Well, I, well as I would meet them, I would get their, their phone time. numbers. I would get their card and we would just add them to the list. Yeah. Add them to the list. And then when we th would throw parties, we would sit down and call the entire list. In fact, we had a mailing list. We had mailing list girls at that time that would go around and take everybody's contact information so that we got their friends' information and, and stuff like that mm. in the parties. And I would literally sit there for you know, four or five hours on the day of the party or day before the party or, you know, a few days before the party, just making calls, hmm. calling the list. Yeah. It obviously went pretty well for you, right? The ownership of that first lounge, how did that end up playing out for you? Well, the experience was great sure. as far as just seeing how things, you know, can operate, mm -hmm. how things really can go. I would say that in the end... You know, we ended up selling our shares of it to somebody else who then took over. Okay. But the experience of it was great were as far as just learning things. Were you still throwing parties at other places during that time or was it just let's promote the club, promote the club? No, promote the club? very, very little. We, oh, we had such tunnel vision sure. back then. It was just promote the venue, promote the venue, promote the venue. Got it. That's all we lived and breathed really was just promoting that venue. Describe the feeling that you felt when you exited or when you sold it. Actually, I felt relief, believe it or not. That's what I was getting to. Yeah. yeah. I felt relief because the later part of it, I felt a big weight on my shoulder that I wasn't really moving forward in a direction that I was happy with. So it was actually a big weight off my shoulder mm -hmm. that we, uh, we ended up selling and getting out. Yeah. Yeah. You felt a little like free to do. Yeah. Because again. we, yeah. Cause I, I felt like, okay, well, you know, 
yes, of course, we're the operators of this venue and our responsibility is to fill it and, and run it. Whereas afterwards, I still had a desire to own a venue, but I was going to do it in just different ways, yeah. bring in more, more people to work with me or more partners and maybe not have all of the pressure just on, on me or yeah. on, you know, the team. But at the time I just kind of felt a little bit like, okay, now this chapter is done. I can now move on to bigger and better things and, you know, yeah, focus on other stuff. And this is, you're just out of college, you're 21, 22 when you get into it and how long until you're done with it? Oh, it was about two years, I would say. Okay. Um, nice. Yeah, we had it for about two years. Got a little experience under the belts. Yeah. And then actually, the so the person that bought us out, he actually brought me in to help run the venue afterward under, okay. under his management, under his creation. And I helped with that for about six months. Okay. That was great too. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't tied down to the venue where I could still do other, yeah, other yeah, things. Yeah, sure, sure. So from that point forward, again, I'm going to ask you this again, just was there ever any consideration of doing anything different? You've been doing this since you were in college. You've been at it for four, five, six years already. You got into a place, you got out of the place. You're almost in a little bit of an earnout position or you at least took, it, took the position there. Or was it ever any thought to be like, I should go do something normal? Or was it more just like, all right, what's next? What do I got to do now? No, it was just what's next. Okay. And how can I do what I'm doing now, yeah. but do it much, much bigger? Well, it seems like you definitely figured out a way to do that. So let's talk about that. You built relationships with some of the biggest names really in the world. I was going to say in New York City, but they're also, you know, by nature of the fact that they're the biggest names in New York City, they're also the biggest names in the world, like some of the biggest celebrities and wealthiest people that are out there. And you've done all of that through just being an expert at curating event experiences. Can you talk about the escalation between the time that you were 19 throwing parties at clubs to now with the events that you throw with some of the people that you throw events for? Well, basically after that is concerned as far as me being a, a bar owner or whatever, I ended up leaning more into the event production side while also working with some of the hottest nightclubs at the time that were popular on their own to help them even become more popular and, and okay. whatever. That lasted for a number of years. And then I got hired as the director at the Chelsea Room in the Chelsea Hotel. And I ran their program for about two years. That was a great, great experience. You know, I basically just did what I do, hired, you know, promotional, promotional staff, brought in the right, the right people, the right PR firms, brought in some celebrities to, you know, to attend here, here and there, brought in some good events. It lasted while it lasted and their lease ran up and the Chelsea Hotel decided that they were going to renovate the whole hotel. Mm. So it wasn't going to be open much longer anyway. Big project. Yeah. <laughs> which was a whole nother story for another day. <laughs> uh, so I, after that, I kind of just, I leaned more into the events side of it. Okay. Events. When you say events, you're talking like, this is a now a different category than a party, right? right. Or is that, well, I'm, well, I'm for, thinking about that, right? Or how would you, yeah. So it? for example, 
instead of me thinking, okay, I need to bring this event to the Chelsea room because I want to make sure that the Chelsea room is hot. Mm -hmm. My thought process now is what are the best spaces in New York mm. where I can now bring this party and make this party even better yeah. than what it would have been. Where it's, if I, it's my event is hot. Exactly. The venue. Exactly. Yeah. Where the venue might have been. So, for example, we did some events at Stone Rose. Okay. Which Stone Rose is gorgeous. It over, well, it's not open anymore, but it's open under a different name. But Stone Rose overlooked, you know, Central Park. So it was very high end. Mm. And we did a good amount of events there. But it wasn't about the venue because I worked at the venue. It was about me choosing that venue for this event because I wanted to make this event better. That was part of the curated experience. And I, exactly. And I wanted to get better people in the room to network with. What are the key factors of an extraordinary event? Well, number one, of course, where it is because the space can make the place, yep. so to speak. Yep. The music, who's performing, what's special about it? Do you have, you know, any kind of entertainment that maybe other events don't have? Hmm. I mean, I've seen stuff where, you know, an, an artist will do a, a sketch of somebody in the party. It's just different, like hmm. things that are just different. So it doesn't always have to be like, oh, Jay-Z is going to perform. It's, well, oh, we well, have that's, this sketch well, artist well, or we have this thing. Well, that's part of it, of course. If the event has a budget to have a celebrity perform, or if a celebrity is attached to the charity and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but the crux of the party, and I'm not talking about the celebrity performances, but the actual dynamics of the party of what does the attendee actually come away with when they walk away from the party? Do they say, wow, that was different. The food was great. The music was amazing. That was really a special event. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about now. That was back then. Today, of course, I'm more ingrained into, you know, doing parties for celebrities. Yeah. Finding them, you know, the right venue, doing private dinners, all of that kind of stuff. But leading up to it, you have to learn how to manage different personalities. Sure. How to, you know, really dive into creativity to make whatever you're doing special. Yeah. I'm assuming you deal with a lot of like management teams when it comes to some of the celebrities that you work with. Oh, yeah. Do you have any advice for people on how to communicate with those teams in order to try to think of a non salesy way to say this, but I guess garner favor with people like that? Because I think a lot of people drop the ball when it comes to who to focus building the relationship with. And I've seen this play out time and time again because people ask me all the time, like, hey, how'd you get so and so? on your podcast? How did you interview Shaq? Or how did you interview this person or that person? And I find that a lot of the times the answer is not about even connecting with the person themselves. It's about connecting with somebody that they are connected with, who they place their trust in. Absolutely. And coming across with some level of genuine authenticity to care about that person or build some sort of relationship with them. Can you speak to that at all yeah. from, that, from that side of things? So the one thing you have to understand about celebrities is that the bigger the celebrity, the bigger the team. Hmm. Now, I don't, of course, there are some major huge celebrities that don't have necessarily a huge team. 
but they have a big enough team where they have multiple people on there that have their ear. Yeah, that are gatekeepers. That are gatekeepers. Now, my thing is if those people trust you and you can have an open conversation with them about what really needs to get done, what you're maybe what, look, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts to these events. Mm -hmm. Some of the events are, let's just say for in a convention, a convention wants to have a celebrity speaker or a celebrity, you know, doing autograph signings or whatever the case yep. for those kind of things, the promoter of the convention, they have their ways, meaning they have what they need to get done. The celebrity has their side of it, of what they're willing to do. And my job is to try to meet in the middle so that everybody is happy <laughs> yeah. and walks and, and you know, it can move on. Yeah. Now with a, so we want, we want the signing and we want a thousand pictures or whatever. Right. And they're like, no, 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 we, we don't want to do any pictures. And it's, well, the only reason we're bringing here is for the pictures or whatever. Yeah. So, so there's to, a lot of, there's a lot of maneuvering between that. And same thing goes when it comes to getting a celebrity to perform at a charity event. Mm. I'll give you just one example of a situation that could come up. Mm -hmm. Celebrity will do the charity event or music artist. They will perform. No problem. But if you want them to walk the red carpet, they might not want to do that. Mm. They might say, hey, we'll walk the red carpet. We'll take photos. We're not doing interviews. Now, the publicist for the charity or for the venue or whoever that is on the other side of it might say, no, we want them to do this, 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 this. And I have to then come back to them and say, look, guys, you have a choice. You can slow down on what you're asking of the celebrity and just let them do what they're comfortable with, or you're not going to get them. And we're going to be at a crossroad again for mm. the next person that we're going to go and, and, and talk to. Yeah. Right. And it's the same thing with planning the celebrities parties. Everybody's different. It's a balancing act of what the artist is going to be happy with, meaning the celebrity talent and what the venue is going to be happy with and having a middle ground of, Hey, can we make this work to just so that everybody feels comfortable? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters 
is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Are there any celebrities that you've worked with that you feel like you've built a good enough relationship now where it's, no, they're, they're like a friend of mine. Like if I if I text them about something, like they're going to hit me back and we're going to have a conversation about it. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of those. Yeah. The reason I asked that question is <clears throat> this is the Travis Makes Friends podcast. It's about making friends, about building relationships, and it used to be specifically about building a professional network. That's why people came to listen to the show was, you know, how do you make yourself somebody worthy of connecting with a bunch of other people? And I used to get, when I would go do other podcasts or speak on stages or whatever, I would always get asked the question like, hey, you're the networking guy. And I kind of like, I rebranded the show because I don't want to be known as the networking guy, you know, but that, those are the questions that I would get. And it asked me, how did you connect with this person? How did you connect to that person? How do you connect with this person? How do you have a relationship with this person? The ironic thing is that the medium through which I was having conversations with people became my number one tool for connecting with those people, which is the podcast thing that we're doing right now. The only reason right. that you and I are having a conversation is because I have a podcast. I've noticed that that happens to be the case with almost all of the most well-connected people that I know. They have something that allows them to have some sort of a platform to be able to connect with people who are of some sort of a higher you know, status or circle or influence or whatever the case may be. You chose the event space and events have obviously crushed it for you. You crush it for your clients, you get good relationships, and then that starts building, you know, over time. When you're distilling to somebody, hey, this is how I've been able to connect with people, what would you say are, you know, the top couple of things that you've done? Well, one thing is, is that, you know, so say, for example, I'm putting together a dinner party for a celebrity. Number one, I will always try to be at the dinner. Not 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 sitting with them per se, sure. but meaning I always try to stop by the restaurant or the, the space just to make sure everything is going right. Mm -hmm. uh, I also try to make sure that I'm on the phone in constant contact with their manager, with their publicist, with their assistant, Yeah, only for the reason that, and it doesn't matter whether I'm friends with the celebrity or not, those people, even their agent, those people want to know that I'm t I'm looking after their client and that they're in good hands. Mm. And that then ends up getting referrals. Sometimes those referrals end up being to other celebrities. Yeah. They could be for other corporate clients. They could be for they could be for a lot of things. If you can manage to win over the whole team, you're in good shape. Because then they're more apt to work with you on multiple different levels. Yeah. Somebody's listening to this and they're like, this seems like a really cool thing to do. Where do you think somebody should spend their time in the beginning? Is there a certain skill set that you've worked to to hone? Is there a knowledge base? Is there again, this isn't this isn't the class you take in college, right? Where where does somebody learn how to do these things? 
That's, that's a really tough question. I mean, I had to learn the hard way, to be honest. I was producing events for celebrities would want to go to the events that I was doing, mm. but I also was working with restaurants that celebrities would like to go to. Mm. I would curate those dinners. It's not something where I just woke up one day and had a Rolodex full of celebrities managers take my call. That's not how I mean, it works. It's just not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. So it's it's a really tough question for me to to answer accurately. Yeah. Just because everybody has their own way. Sure. I what I would suggest is maybe that person should intern at maybe a PR company that does movie premieres. Hmm. Maybe it's a PR company that does experiential events. Stuff like that where you can learn how to outreach for stuff that you think that a celebrity would like to do, mm. whatever that may be. Yeah. And that goes for anything, by the way, that goes for any, any type of type of product. You have a podcast, people want to be on your podcast. You want people on your podcast. Yeah. It's the same thing. If you have something that you represent or that you're working with or have attachment to that's of value, then you can then bring that to the celebrity and the celebrity to that piece of value. So it's it's a two-way street. So if somebody were to find out what PR company does the, the best movie premieres, mm -hmm. maybe it's a concert promoter. Maybe they want to go work for a concert promoter. Maybe that's the way. Maybe they, you know, can see how artists' teams work by when they arrive to the building and get to know some of the teams that way. Maybe it's they want to go work for Coachella. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's always ways of finding your way if you set your mind to do what you want to do. What what are what are the main, let's say, two or three soft skills that you think are most important? What are required for you to be able to do what you do? Well, number one, you gotta have a level head. Mm. It's level head is the most important thing because these things can be stressful if and you may not like That's what true. you hear on either side of the coin. There's a lot of moving parts to, yeah, what, yeah. to what happens. It's always last minute except, this and change this. and Yeah, accept no for an answer, but don't take no for an answer. Hmm. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, no today doesn't mean no in one year from now. No today doesn't mean no, no in two years from now. Somebody may not respond to your email and then in three years... They may email you about something or they may respond to something sure. that you have, of, which is a value to their client at the time in three years. You get on a phone call with them and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, wow we hit it off. Yeah. They're actually a great person and, you know, want to get to know that person. Patience. Very, very yeah. important. <laughs> yeah. And keeping things short and to the point. Don't overdo it. Not wasting people's time. Well, even just when you're reaching out to them, keep it short and simple. Yeah. Short and simple always, always will be much better than creating a whole long proposal that they may or may not understand. They may or may not even want to read. Or look at it. Yeah. Right, or right. look at. And yeah, that's how I did it. Look, I mean, in the last six months, I've, you know, done a lot of celebrities birthday parties or birthday dinners. Are you allowed to mention any names, by the way? Well, I can. Okay. I mean, I can name 
a few. I mean, it's not. Yeah. Who, who are some of the people that you've worked with in the last six months, a year? Well, I planned, I helped plan Amal Clooney's birthday dinner with George. And that came through a referral from his publicist to his assistant. They were in town. It just so happened that he was filming with Brad Pitt for, for a movie. And he had one day. As you do. <laughs> he had one day off. And it just so happened to be Amal's birthday. Hmm. And they had seen something that I had sent over maybe a week or two or three before okay. that they liked that was referred by the publicist. The assistant reached out to me and we set it up. Hmm. Nice. Similar thing happened with Brooke Shields, Molly Ringwald, Alan Cumming. I just actually put together a dinner for Kevin Bacon and Kira Cedric. Well, that wasn't a birthday party, even though it was a week after his birthday. But okay. but yeah, as far as birthday dinners, those would be three that or four that would, would come off the top yeah, of my head. Just in the last few months. Yeah. Yeah. And I just did in the last couple of weeks. I mean, I did an after party for Christina Aguilera. That was a referral from publicist to publicist. Okay. It within the PR company that that reps her. That now flourished into a beautiful relationship with her entire team, yeah, including her her manager and assistant. And I just did something with Alicia Keys two weeks ago for her after party. What what does your team look like now? When you're putting on these these events and stuff, is this something that you you're kind of the orchestrator, or is it so relationship based that you end up needing to be the person that's like heavily involved with a lot of the parts of the process? I have to be involved okay. with. The type of stuff that we're talking about right now. Yeah. Simply because the assistant or the publicist or the manager, they're in constant contact with me yeah. over very, very little details to make sure every little thing goes through as planned. And they do not give out their phone number to everybody. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I mean, privacy is very, very important. Yeah. So that's the thing is that I have to be. And now look, could I take a step back and, you know, have another teammate do it? Sure. But the problem with that is they're looking at me to be. It's on you. It's okay. on me yeah. because it's my relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a relationship based business. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, all relationships. It's all relationships and reputation. Yeah. Because like the biggest factor in all of this is like time and trust. Do I have time and do I trust this person not to waste it? Exactly. You know what I mean? It's just like if you screw that up once, then it's, well, let's try somebody else. You know, like they just don't, oh, that, that there, is... there's such an abundance of opportunity when you are somebody that's, or if you're honest, if you are a celebrity or you're working with a celebrity, the opportunity is quite literally mind-blowingly endless. The, the sheer volume of opportunities that those types of celebrities get. So if you get the opportunity to do it, better deliver. To, to the point where that person has trust in you so that next time it comes around, oh, well, I'd, I'd trust Jeff. Jeff will exactly. Get let's, get, let's, let's get Jeff on this. And that's why I, I remain very hands-on yeah. with those kind of events because I want to make sure that, hey, look, they're going to leave with a great experience in their minds. They're going to say, you know, Jeff really, you know, came through for us. Yeah. And we had a lot of fun. We loved it. Yeah. And the next time we want to do a party, we want to do an event, we're going to call Jeff first. Yeah. So I call you and I'm like, Jeff, 
coming to New York. I got 50 people that are, that, that are going to be there. And I need, I need a night that everybody's going to remember when they leave. Cause I'm trying to do some business with these folks. What's the first thing that you do? Are you asking me questions? Are you trying first to? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you questions. Okay. Number one, what date and time you said, how many people it's 50 people. What do you envision? What type of setting? Hmm. Do you want a lounge with a DJ? Do you want past hors d'oeuvres? Do you want this to be a restaurant setting? Do you want, like, I would need to know what is your ideal setting mm. so that I can then look through my Rolodex of venues and say, okay, this would be the perfect spot. What him. if I just told you, like, a mood? If I'm like, you know what, bro, I trust you. You do all that. I don't care if DJ, lounge, restaurant, I don't care about any of that. I just want this to be a good night. Go. Like, sure. do you have an idea where you're like, this is, this is my go-to. This is, what, this, is, this is the type of thing that I would think I would want to curate for yeah, I, I have certain venues that I would say are are go tos, but again, it all it all depends on what I think. Yeah, you're going to sure, sure. because one venue may not be right. It's so for, subjective. Yeah, it's subjective. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything that stands out in your mind, like when you look at the past? How long have you been doing this now? Well, I've been doing it for. Close to about, yeah, about 20, 20 years. I was just going to say, Maybe so a couple a decades. You look back at the last couple of decades. Are there any that stick out to you where you were like, not even necessarily like the client was happiest with it, but I was so proud of this particular event or this two, these two or three events. Like I was just really proud of how this one turned out. Well, there's been a bunch. I will tell you one little story. Okay. I did an event that actually was at Stone Rose. Okay. This was maybe 10 years ago, I would say. We had Stephen Baldwin hosting for his mother's foundation. And the event went great. It was actually, we had blackjack tables. Caesars Casino had, or Caesars Entertainment had supplied blackjack tables and nice. some other stuff that it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. People were gambling for charity. And I would say about 30 days after, I got a letter from in the mail from Stephen and Alec Baldwin's mom. Oh, nice. Thanking me personally for putting the event together, for raising money for the charity. Nice. So that that felt really that felt really, really good. Yeah, super cool. Especially yeah. when it's like physical mail like that. <laughs> another <laughs> another one that I, I really loved, and we can touch on this also. So I I created with Cedric the Entertainer and my partner Vitmish Faulkner, we created a platform called Fanroom Live. Oh, yeah. Yep. And Fanroom Live, which we created during the pandemic, is a virtual live stream where celebrities meet their fans, and it's town hall style, but some of the events are for charity. Mm -hmm. And one of our events, which we had Paul White, who's known as the big show in WWE, mm -hmm. was on Fanroom Live, and we actually incorporated a organization that brings sick children to wrestling matches. They couldn't do that at the time. So what they did was they brought a couple of the sick kids or kids with, with cancer and other illnesses onto fan room to meet Paul. During that conversation, Paul takes his shirt off, signs it for the charity to be able to auction. Well, since we have the video, we posted the video and Maybe I would say a week after, 
podcaster uh, friend of mine that that just does wrestling podcasts. Who, who is it? Rob Wilds. Okay. He does something called Wrestle Shoots. I would say I have a partner in one of my businesses whose name is Chris Van Bleet, and he does he has a wrestling podcast exclusively wrestling. So I was like, oh, maybe it's the same guy. But it's not no, him. no. I I by the way, I, I love his his stuff. By the way, oh, Chris, Chris. is yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Great dude. Yeah. So about yeah, about a week or two after. Rob reaches out to me. He says, Jeff, I saw the video of what you guys did for that, for that kid in England. He says, listen, I have two world title belts signed. One from The Undertaker, one from The Rock. I will donate those to the, either to the charity or to the kid. In fact, why don't I give one to the charity and why don't I send one to the child? Wow. So I made a couple calls. The charity took the Undertaker's belt and the one for The Rock, we had it shipped to the UK. No turned way. out, turned out, it was great timing. As, I, as I've said before, timing is also very key. The kid's birthday was a few weeks later. So the parents took the belt that was signed by The Rock and gave it to him as his birthday present. Oh man. What so an awesome moment. Yeah. That's definitely one of my, my proudest moments is just to be able to, you know, to do that for, for somebody, you know, responsible for in some way for, for helping organize that. Yeah. You know, what's cool about being in a space or an industry where you, you connect people is the serendipity, you know, we call it in, we, use the term engineering serendipity a lot because serendipity is by definition unengineerable, right? Like technically. But when you are somebody that crafts and curates like events, moments, connections, you know, meeting and all this other thing, all these other things that happen, you find that there's just these random serendipitous moments that occur way more often. <laughs> You know, if you didn't do any of the stuff that you're doing, it would be almost never, which is why it's called serendipity. But what's really cool about the stuff that you you do is you get those types of moments and you get them pretty frequently because you're so often putting so many awesome people together. And when you put that many awesome people together, awesome stuff is bound to come out of it. You know, it's like one of my favorite things about about the world that you're in, about doing the events and and, and putting people in the same room together. It just leads to so many great things. Well, that's why I love what I do. Yeah. I love to see, A, number one, I love to just see people have a good time. Yeah. With, with Regardless of what it is, I love to be able to show people a good time, mm -hmm. put smiles on people's faces, whether it be celebrities or, or the attendees or whether it be the fans on Fan Room or however it may be yeah. that people come away with, hey, this was so such a cool experience. But then it's also great to just give back to people that would be in need mm -hmm. so yeah i just i i love what i what i do because of that before we take off here jeff i want to respect for your time it's one thing to initiate relationships it's one thing to gain a connection and that's an that's a whole science by itself like we were talking about earlier like reaching out to this person oh they didn't respond two years later they need this thing they remember they got this thing then they reach out and that's the first thing once you initiate the contact though there's a whole new side of the relationship that opens up, which is usually based in some sort of follow-up. How do, how do we stay in contact? How do we do this without me 
like being pitchy and annoying and, you know, being the guy that clearly wants to sell them something all the time. Is there a way that you systematically follow up with people or at least stay in people's worlds often enough to, to stay relevant? One thing that I, that I did, and I'll just use this as, as an example, is I would even say to, and again, this is just, this is just me. This wasn't necessarily because I was trying to curry favor with the manager for their clients or anything like that. I would say to the, to the managers, after I've even done something with one of their clients, hey, listen, if you're ever in New York and, you know, you need a, a, a hookup at a, at a, you know, good restaurant or a discount or even just, you know, any of the spots that maybe I have that I'm working with, I'll hook it up. I'll get you a discount. I'll get you the VIP treatment. And that's just because we're now, you know, friends. Yeah. And sometimes that would, and I, I wouldn't pitch it in a sense of, I wouldn't be like, you know, constantly emailing them. Hey, sure. when are yeah, you going to yeah. come in or anything like that? I would just leave it open-ended. Sure. And a lot of the times people would take me up on it and that's how I would then, you know, go and and meet them. Yeah. Because I would set something up nice for them that had nothing to do with their client. And especially yeah. for those people when they live in a world that exists that literally revolves around their client. Right? Like Oh the, yeah, like, well like I've had I've 90% had... of communication they deal with is people who have no desire to talk to them, but all desire to talk to their client. You know what I mean? Well, it's interesting because I I I've thrown parties where let's just say the the person organizing it would say, "Hey Jeff, it's it's cool if you bring 5 or 10 people that are industry people or, or whatever." And I might invite a celebrity's manager that I'm friends with hmm. and they would say, "But I don't have a client with me." And yeah. I'm just like, "So?" so? <laughs> the LA thing yeah. is if you don't have a client, you're not invited. Right. Most of the time. Yeah. They forget your name all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, with me, I'm just real about it. If I want to see the person yeah. and I want to hang out with them, you know, whether they have a client or not, it doesn't really matter. Right. So that speaks to why you're so successful in the space though. It, it, people can smell that from a mile away. You know what I mean? And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll never do business with that other person who clearly only wants them for their client because like they got to do right by their client. But it does mean that you'll have a different connection with that person because they can tell that you have a genuine or authentic interest in them as an individual and building a relationship with them because of the value that they bring to the world, not because of their connection to this other person. Well, exactly. And, and I mean, look, today they may only have one client out of, say, 5, 10, 20, 30 that I have anything for. Sure. And maybe I might not have something for that client again for a couple of years. But yep. you know what? If I like that person as a person, yeah, right, and I want to develop a better relationship with them, you never know. They might just give me referrals right. to other people, right? You never know, or they may not. And it's okay, uh, too. It, yeah, yeah, that's okay too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, again, I think that's that speaks to why you're so successful with it. So, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun for me. I love asking these types of questions. Where, where can people go to learn a little bit more about you? What you got going on? Well, my Instagram is at IE Group NYC. IE Group NYC. Uh, yes. And uh, Fan Room Live, which we, you know, have constant events going on, okay. is at Fan Room Live. You could also go to our website, fanroomlive.com. 
And you can go to my website, which is, you know, for IE Group, which is IEGNY.com. Perfect. Awesome. So if you want to learn more about Jeff, anything he's got going on, go to at IE Group NYC on Instagram. Check out some of the stuff that he's got going on. Go check out their website. If you want to throw events and all that good stuff and you have the budget to do so, then go check out some of the stuff that he's doing. Jeff, dude, this is a a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. So we appreciate it. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.